Welcome back to another episode of our Eagle Perspective podcast. I'm Mike Siciliano, Dean of Students of the Upper School. We are going to talk about the arts today. I am joined by our visual arts teacher, Miss Callie Hendrickson. Callie, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you for so having this, me. Am I right? This is your third year here with us, Santa Fe. Okay. Yes. Uh, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of what you do here on campus? And then I'm also going to ask some questions in a bit about how you discovered that you were, in fact, an artist. Oh, my, yes. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, tell us about what you do here on, on campus. Okay, so I am the upper school's art, visual arts teacher. And so I teach art one and then by rank all the way up to AP for our seniors. And I really love that process because being the one art teacher, you get to see how they grow over all years in school and you know how to challenge them. And it's it's an ongoing relationship, which I feel like you don't get that in other yeah. areas. So, so that's uh, Absolutely. Like speaking as someone who used to teach AP US history, which I loved, but it's you get one year with them. And one one thing that's unique about your role is you, in a lot of cases, get the same kids for four years, right? So you get freshmen, baby them, and, you know, fully grown, mature adult them, or some version of that, right, yeah. uh, at the end. What is that like to get to be a part of? And then plus, like, you also get all this time where, like, they're working on art, but, like, talking about deep, meaningful things, right? Yeah. So what's that like for you to get to be part of that and to see that over the course of four years? It's kind of sweet because and in Art One, I tend to be a very strict personality. And then when they get me in advanced art, I get all these shifty eyes, like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I'm allowed to just sit here and talk while I'm doing this? Yeah, yeah. they get, like, they, it's funny and my personality then is a little bit sassy and when they start catching those things or my facial expressions like it builds the relationship it makes it calmer but on the like professional end then i i love the discipleship factor that goes with four years of a relationship because by the time they're seniors they come in with their life questions like oh i have to make this college decision yeah what do you think about this avenue for me to pursue as a career and yeah, those moments, they make it. Discipleship's an important thing, even though that word is kind of like outdated. It's just like you get to walk with somebody yeah. in what they love. Yeah. And what's more vulnerable than the arts? You get yeah. to see a whole side of their heart rather than just like their facts and what they're learning. <laughs> okay, so I was totally going to ask you more about your background, but I kind of, now that you've you've said that, what's what's more vulnerable than the arts? <laughs> I feel like I have to segue a little bit to like, what is it about the arts that is so vulnerable? I mean, what what is it that makes it so powerful? And we'll get into some, some how that hits our faith as well. But what makes you say that? Hmm. I once had this conversation because I worked as a part of the Youth with a Mission program for seven years in Australia. And I ran a coffee shop for them, but then I also taught art classes on the side. And so in that art community, we had dancers, musicians, and artists. And they're like, how can I use my craft to change the world? Basically to impact people, to use my faith. What does that look like? So. We had this conversation about what was more vulnerable because in painting, it's a process. Mm. You're working through something and you're putting your heart and your ideas out there. And it's like a lasting prayer. It will stand and you might shift before that painting loses its meaning. 
Whereas if you're a dancer or a musician, like you are the vulnerable, like you stand up there and it's you, your voice that everybody's looking at or your body that everyone's looking at. And so there is a lot of vulnerability in just showing your thoughts in your heart, but the way that you do it is its own ranking, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I'm struck by what you say of the visual arts. You paint something or you make something, and it's there forever. You yeah. you may not even agree with the thing that you painted 10 years from now, but it is a marker of a moment in time that lasts forever, yeah. right? It that is. It's really vulnerable. Okay, you mentioned the coffee shop, so okay. just because I know a little bit about this story. <laughs> um, I'll start by saying... Tell me when it was you knew that arts were your thing. I always was itching to draw things, even as a kid. My dad and I have this beautiful sense of humor. And part of our relationship was whenever we went out to dinner, we'd draw on napkins, little like stories at restaurants. Mm-hmm. And the little crayons that they leave on the table, I'd always be using those. Um, but it evolved into, like, I played sports in high school and there was a huge change in that and I ended up choosing art because I had no safe avenue basically to process my heart mm. other than through what I was creating, yeah. which is, I think is kind of a classic artist story, yeah, sure. but yeah. that was true for me. And then when I chose to make it my career, I remember I was on campus as a college student and I had drifted into, I don't know what I want to do with my life land. (laughs) As many college students do. (laughs) Yeah. Because my first professor, after a critique, told me I didn't have what it takes. (laughs) To be an artist. I didn't have what it takes to be an artist. Wow. Okay. And so I thought, oh my gosh, what? I love this. This is terrible. And I thought, well, you know, I really want to help people. Maybe I'll pursue that instead. So I dabbled in psychology and I realized that I wasn't an intense thinker in that way. Like, man, if somebody has a problem, I kind of want to cheer them up or I just don't, I don't want to remain in it with them. You don't want to force them to deal with their demons <laughs> no. or something psychological, right? Like you want to be like, let's paint something and feel better. Let's make it pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I was frustrated and like on a deadline and I was walking through our campus towards our creative arts building on this day. And I had one of those raise your fist at the sky moments towards the Lord, even though I wasn't like in a tight relationship with God at that point in my life. I I said to him, I was like, if you let me back into the art program, because it's what I love, I will figure out how to use it to help mm-hmm. people. <laughs> and so I marched down into the Dean's building, basically and got this meeting and asked to be let back into the art program. And the Dean sat there with this intimidating face and he was like, you flaked on us once. Why should I let you back in? Wow. (laughs) I had this bold moment where I, I don't even know what came out of my mouth, but it was basically like, this is what I live and breathe. This is what is the most beautiful thing about myself, I think. And I have this hunger to touch the world with what I do. So I I will stick this out. I don't care what your faculty thinks about me. (laughs) Awesome. And he let me back in and I just stuck it out. I was one of the first people in that school to do their thesis in, in caustic painting, which is with wax. 
And so I was kind of a little trailblazer after that too. And so every time I go to an art show in Montana and I see that someone from MSU did encaustics, yeah. I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the tradition that you started. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So that was fun and part of my creative journey. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the professor since? I'm actually, I still email the ceramics department here and there because that guy is cool. And he's now the uh, dean, I think, of the school. Did you ever get the, like, I was wrong moment? Or is that something you just had to let go? I did not. That guy still works there. And I see his artwork (laughs) up and around. And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) Oh Well, okay. So you have chosen to, to make art your career your profession right and and i'll just brag about you for a sec you do it amazingly well not Thank just you. from all the ways that you draw our, of our kids but the the little culture you've kind of built in your classroom and all the kids that go in there at lunch and that that you're their person yeah. right which is really neat to see most of them probably will not have a career in the arts is that fair to say N- not that we won't have some we of course we will yeah and we do but most of them probably will not yeah well, we talk about this, actually. Okay. I'm very strategic with my seniors. They have to read a few books in AP. And in it, I'm flat out say, like, you have to have a work ethic. Mm-hmm. You have to have something that will wake up and commit you to your work time, even if you don't feel like it. Because if you're going to go on the fields, you're never going to make it yeah. in this trade. <laughs> and if you can't meet your deadlines, you're never going to make it in right. this trade. So I'm pretty straightforward in holding those lines throughout art, actually. But they know, you know, and so their process and the way that they do art and the way that they think, I try to kind of build in those things. Yeah. Right. And what was cute is the summer... I had a coffee with a former student, and she said to me, Miss Hendrickson, I never thought that all of those mind maps were going to matter, but I got to college, and I was like, I know how to do this. Oh, and I awesome. was like, vindication. The best feeling. <laughs> that is the best feeling, right? When kids come back, and they're yeah. like, this thing you told me mattered. Actually, maybe it did matter just a little bit. <laughs> okay, but that said, for the ones that don't go into art as a profession, what is the value of having been through your program? Like, why is arts important for those of us that art is not our profession? Yeah. um, Well, I love to pull this story out of a hat, but basically I I know a lot from my business background about why uh, people are being hired right now. And I I read this study by General Electric that was done in like 2010, something-ish like that. And basically, the number one hireable trait in the world is is creatives. Hmm. We need innovative thinkers, people who can come up with ideas that haven't existed before. And it makes sense given our technology and even, I mean, the pandemic, how many new ideas were needed. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, a lot. So... Teaching resiliency and teaching how do you have original ideas is part of the process in the arts as well. Um, And so if in art one, you only ever take that class, there is one project in it where I make my students uh, come up with 25 ideas for eggs and... Like uses for, like things you could do with eggs. Yeah. Okay. And they could do pun things. They could like... But like, okay, so this is, this is like, this is my, uh, cheekiness, but like 
is eat them only one, or if I eat them in 12 different ways, does that count as 12 ideas in this your This is a common question that okay. I get asked. Yeah. And Probably so. by the most annoying of students, <laughs> which I would have been for sure in your class. Well, you know... It's, it's cheekiness that I find much affection in. So if, if it's puns or if it's, I'm going to dress the egg up like a clown five different ways <laughs> okay. or waffles, scrambled, sure. right. like 20 ideas. By the time you hit 15, there you're going to start running out of ideas. Yeah, right. And so then I tell students, even when I give the assignment, I'm like, there's a, a ratio of original ideas that I will look at compared to all the classes and all the students that so do this. So if you this. pick 25, the 25 most common uses of eggs, it's kind of like, meh. You're going to have yeah. probably two out of 20 yeah. as your ratio. But yeah. if you are like, you know what, I'm really going to try with this and just see. Yeah. Usually the average creative is around eight original okay. ideas. But if yeah. you have an exceptional gifting for innovative thinking you can get into the 10 to 12 range and i've only seen that with a couple of students so what are some of the most innovative things kids have come up with on that well i did see this one stands out to me because it was colored too but there was a superhero egg man with an egg firing gun (laughs) so one one superhero with 24 egg bullets (laughs) they did other things too. okay all right but it was well done and really really imaginative yeah for sure that's awesome (laughs) that is creative i wouldn't have come up with that one yeah so that's good um you mentioned the coffee shop earlier so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to share that story because you just also talked about kind of your business background and innovation um tell us about that experience and why it was so important to you Yeah. Well, I also noticed in my time in Australia that creatives in modern day context tend to go for the coffee realm too. Baristas is their (laughs) first job out of the gates, most most likely. And um, particularly where we were, it was an area where families were just hard, hard times and kids would go to school and not necessarily have food. Mm. It wasn't safe places to go home. And I kept looking around me at how I had this school of amazing Christian people who were not connected in their community, really. And so the leadership team had had this idea of a coffee shop, and I had many years of experience with running coffee shops, and it was just a natural in, basically. So um, we opened a coffee shop, and through it, then I started to notice that, like, all the creative people would come to it and like training them up in a skill where they they could have business skills no matter what country they Mm. went into influence in the community because of the relationships they were creating it eventually evolved to even then giving them license to show their work we had this thing called the blue door project where artists who worked the coffee shop could pair with community writers Hmm. like poets yeah and we did a little zine out of it so like um painters and photographers then paired with actual Australian creatives because we were international so the people that worked it were from any country in the world which is itself very interesting because different countries have different focuses on what beauty is um so yeah that turned out to be a great partnership with 
uh, the community and with artists and a way for the staff to get money to keep working and staying in the country. And it was just great. So that was my coffee background. (laughs) Kind of of this merging of passion, entrepreneurship, uh, um, creativity, right? Uh, All in in one spot, which is pretty neat. I want to shift a, a little bit to the role of the visual arts in faith. And, you know, which is obviously something you're integrating in in your class. And if we look through history, right, um, and we look at the role of art in in change and in movements and and whatnot. And we have this book here. It's called For the Beauty of the Church, which I think that did you know this before Rod Gilbert or Head of Schools or did he give you this book? He gave me the book, but I will pat myself on the shoulder that there is something quoted in the book from another book that I did. Okay. So I was like a shoe step away. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, if you're a shoe step away from one of Rod's books, you're on the right track. That's what I've learned in in working, in working for him. Um, so, so what is it? Let's just start with the basic. Why, why is art so important or what role does art play in, in our world of faith? There is an author, Russian author, who, whose famous quote is, beauty will save the world. And it, it basically is the artist's role and responsibility with their faith and even in the Bible, like the first person to help Moses with the tabernacle, they needed a creative, they needed a craftsman to do that. Moses couldn't do him do it himself. So it tends to be that artists stand between a curb and culture. Hmm. They tend to be the, the, the voice of change in societies. And we see that with film today or you know, graphic design or digital art, especially. Um, but in any, even looking back historically, if you think about World War II, the propaganda stuff, mm. um, the German expressionistic movement was all about, wow, you know what, the world really sucks right now. <laughs> Hope is gone, and we are going to stop creating for this better thing because it doesn't exist. Right. And so art completely changed, and people became in the deconstruction era. Like, it's all about me, and art became this dark, dark thing yeah. rather than a light. And so it's been something that I have been thinking about quite regularly is if we as artists are culture curbers um how how do we handle that and have a good relationship with creativity a healthy relationship with creativity how do we make sure that our hearts are open to listening to whatever holy spirit wants to bring in how do we feed the well of creativity that is out there in the world um how do i teach my students how to do that because Otherwise, all we're ever doing is releasing, like, hopelessness around us rather than new ideas or possibilities or hope. Or even just commentary on, you know, the current state of media or film or whatnot. Like, I feel like in the church, there's a lot of sort of lamenting those things. Yeah. But what you're sort of saying, and and honestly, the point that the book makes too, is like we need believers in these spaces yeah. to project hope and and beauty that that reflects who God is. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is so true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, I know you recently went to a conference. 
right? And there was there's a story there that, that you've shared a little bit, but I'd love to, to have you share it with everyone who's listening. Yeah. It was beautiful to be in a room full of people that have asked that question, like, uh, we are responsible. And in our crafts, we're just going to do the best that we can, basically. Um, and this one professor got up who had been talking about his own journey with like the responsibility of creating hope in the world through what he creates. And it turns out that he had been like a professor of psychology before he even grad schooled his life. And he chose ceramics in the end, which is a very close place to my heart. So I was already on board the minute that he got up there. <laughs> but he was sharing how in in society, basically, there the Western philosophy is beauty has to be this big, grandiose uh gorgeous thing mm. um and side note off of that if if you see something beautiful today's response is to pull out your cell phone right. and try to capture it yeah. rather than like oh my gosh let it move yeah. your heart soak it in to your mind and just be present right so yeah he was talking about how in italy basically all their pride as a culture is in those Renaissance artworks, the churches with the gold-rimmed designs right. yeah. and Michelangelo's ceilings yeah. and wispiness. But he started to grapple with, that's a lot of work in Western society. <laughs> it took Michelangelo years to paint <laughs> yeah, that ceiling, right? Yeah. yeah. And so what is another philosophy out there and so he looked at japanese culture and there's this whole form of pottery basically where they take everyday normal objects and if they break they fuse them back together with gold it's beautiful but there's a particular tea bowl that is the oldest thing in japanese culture and the thing that they're the most proud of it's a tea bowl. It's not the most attractive thing that you're ever going to lay eyes on. The rims isn't straight. It's it's made out of dirt that is not even glazed well. Like it just kind of thrown together thing doesn't balance on the table. It's rick it's rickety. Yeah. But but Japanese culture is is like that is everyday normal beauty. And so this inspired this guy to think, actually, you know, if I want to be an influence, hmm. I'm going to make a coffee cup. I love that. Because it is something that you use every day. I mean, your, your coffee cup says something about you. Mine says something about me. And it's a sneaky way to just be a touch point yeah. of beauty. Right. And so then he's, he compared that to Jesus. Jesus wasn't an attractive person, but he was what he needed to be to touch every area of society. Yeah. And I just loved that because everybody's creativity is different. Everybody's voice is different. But Madeline Langle, who wrote A Wrinkle in Time, she also um, has this quote about creativity that all you can do is your job and feed the lake of ideas because mm. you never know if your thing is going to hit one person that is the next right. Michelangelo sure. or you just don't know the impact 
Well, even some of those artists, right? That it's like only after they after they've passed has their have their works become, you know, really famous. I love that philosophy though of of you know, and it feels very biblical of see yeah. the beauty in the everyday and not just the big and grandiose and. Um, I don't know why I also think about Indiana Jones and, and the last crusade and like the mug. Right. Um, but you know, that's, that's just me. Um, you mentioned the coffee cups. I feel, I feel bound to talk about the coffee cups because like this mug now is a thing. And it's not that I think I'm the top gun. It's actually that marketing just gave me this cup and now it's a thing and I have to, I have to keep it. So just to be clear on that, I'm not that arrogant. Uh, I, but let's look at, what does yours say? Adventure is out there, and okay. it's got some mountains on there. <laughs> okay, and that's your that's your mug. That is my mug. Okay, so why that one? Oh, that is a great question. Well, okay, so I'm from Montana originally, and let's be honest, in Montana, those mountains are a thing. They're yeah. your heart and soul, and I honestly think that there is some kind of blessing over Montana for creatives. People go there to heal, or they become like singer-songwriters. Yeah. It's not that they stay, but it has this this thing about it. The heights do that for you. So to me, it's a reminder for myself to remain healthy by pursuing adventures. And everyone I've ever taken has turned out well. So yeah. think about it. I mean, I moved here just before the pandemic. Right. <laughs> it's turned yeah. out well. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. I thought you were going to say it's because your favorite movie is Up. You know? Oh, that would be cute. <laughs> and I, I, I can't not watch that movie, and like I can't watch that movie and not cry in the first ten minutes. Oh my gosh! Like I know. it is like the most devastating. Speaking of powerful art, but yeah, um, true. A uh, couple more questions. So you okay. also have a really unique worship background involving art. Could you share a little bit about that experience? Well, so in my time in Australia, leading that coffee shop and teaching art classes, we had a tradition of going and serving during the Easter break, this music festival. And it had all different types of artists, usually Christian artists. So we had Switchfoot come and John Mark McMillan and Hillsong came. And so basically my artists were drafted to help this festival mm -hmm. with some live art activities. And so that snowballed and I found myself standing on a stage of like 4,000 people looking up at me and painting this. No um, pressure. I know, right? <laughs> it was a door basically because we had put doors all over. That was part of our live art exhibit. And then in the main like thing, main worship band, main moment, here I am on a stage painting in front of min like many people. And I did that quite a bit actually. Many moments of painting in worship and I loved it because it was a place to stand between God's heart and the people mm. that came to encounter him yeah and in art we call that transcendence it's creating something that helps people connect with something better than themselves so I did that and like every time I got a color or a picture or an object in my head, I would paint that and then the song would change and it would be something about that thing that I just painted. Oh man. <laughs> and then my favorite end of that story was that, that particular time I came off the stage and a little later, this old lady came up to me who was like, hey, I can't believe that you painted this angel in this painting. And I was like, 
What? <laughs> what angel are you referring to? And so she's yeah. like, no, like here. And I looked at it. And I was like, oh, oh, it does <laughs> look like that. That's so weird. It's amazing. So I started noticing that in, in my desire to stand between the Lord and people hmm. with my art and listen, I noticed that he sneaks his way in there. That's awesome. I love that so much. That's great. Yeah, and I see it in my students, too. Like, they'll hand something in, and and I'll be like, oh, (laughs) did you know? (laughs) Like, every now and then I'll point that out. It's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, one more question. Okay. Uh, Here on campus, what are some ways in which your kids get to practice this? Well, we do a few different things throughout the year, but most recently we did a wall mural. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a new building project on campus. Basically, it was a white wall, yeah. and it was a, it was just very boring. <laughs> I'll just I'll add a little context, like we, like you know we normally have this beautiful quad with a lot of green space, and it's kind of like the hangout spot. Yeah. And because of the construction this year, it's gone, and there's just there was this big giant white wall blocking our typically beautiful view. Yeah. And I will say it's the biggest wall mural I've ever participated in. <laughs> it's pretty in. big. It's a pretty long one. I think originally it was like, yeah, it'll be done in two days. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> More like two weeks, am I right on that? It was two weeks, But yeah. it turned out great. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm just grateful because we had a lot of blending. I mean, the lower school students got to come up and paint seashells. Middle schoolers did, like, the sand on it. My freshmen did the sunset. And it was just so much fun to see like every aspect of the school come together to create this thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was interesting because we pitched a lot of ideas in the beginning, but found that something that would serve our community the best and would be like a relaxing way to bring back mm-hmm. a little of the nature yeah. aspect was right. to do like a beachscape. So mm-hmm. it served the community and it wasn't about the artist it wasn't as and I think that's important to teach kids is art actually serves it is not always about you and your idea getting getting yeah shown and sometimes it is and that's a blessing but oftentimes in the real world when you get hired to do an art project you're commissioned to do someone else's work Mm. so as a a chance to paint a wall mural I told them I like if you I said this kind of cheeky in my younger kid classes like if you mess this up we will not have another <laughs> opportunity you you have the potential to open a lot of doors with this we're here to serve so don't be a diva yeah. <laughs> I love it. listen I work with teenagers all the time they need don't be a diva sometimes that's good yeah it's healthy yeah, and so now I've got so many compliments on that thing, and it's beautiful because it wasn't, it wasn't any of us, but it yeah. evolved to be something that is communal, and that's the best kind of artwork. <laughs> and and just you know, as a as a person who st- struggles artistically, that's not a gifting, <laughs> but that I have. But uh, I mean, it's made that space nice again and kind yeah. of fun again and and feeling like it used to feel even though we had, like before for a while there was just this big boring white wall and it was it wasn't a good feeling yeah. so uh, yeah. you guys rescued that space <laughs> so thank you yes well thank you so much Callie for uh for joining us today and just sharing your heart and your story you have such an amazing background we are really blessed to have you and I said the same thing when we had Matt Corsaro on but I know for a lot of our kids on campus 
you have created a home for them. Like you are the space where they feel safe, where when they have free time, they want to go and just hang out. And uh, <laughs> you've, you've really become such a mentor to them. So thank you for what you do here. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to another episode of our Eagle Perspective podcast. Uh, you can always catch more of our episodes on Apple Music or Spotify or other places where podcasts are found. We also now do have a video podcast, uh, so search for us on YouTube. We will be back with another episode soon, and thank you again for joining us. Mm-hmm.